Whether you faced a traumatic life event or a near-death experience, overcome great challenges and adversity, we share stories just like these right here on our Hope with Jonathan podcast. Hello, my name is Jonathan Trailer. Back in July of 2019, I crashed right into dialysis. It was one of the most scariest times of my life. Without a lot of knowledge of chronic kidney disease, I really didn't know what I was fighting. And I was really scared, didn't know where to turn to. We share warrior stories similar to these right here on our Hope with Jonathan podcast. So come follow us and listen as we journey into the deep right here on the Hope with Jonathan podcast. Hope with Jonathan Podcast is a Hope Media production. Never let hope become a memory. Hope with Jonathan Podcast is a Hope Media production. Welcome back to Hope with Jonathan. I'm your host, Jonathan Trailer. How's everybody doing tonight? Welcome to the 2022 Second Chance Fundraiser with my special guest tonight, Benjamin Babb. I'm really, really excited for this tonight, guys. I hope you guys will get involved with this uh, episode interview. We have a wonderful guest. It's going to have an incredible story. But tonight, guys, if you're interested in all, I want you guys to think about definitely donating to A Second Chance. So who are we talking about when we're talking about A Second Chance? We're talking about a podcast that shares stories just like just like I do, share stories of hope and uh, saving and changing lives through the power of people sharing their story. And I definitely want to try to support uh, what Philip Harris Jones Jr. is doing, also with his uh, co-host Tafaro Cook, and he's got a whole list of many more that are involved in this project. But guys, listen, if you feel compelled, definitely look at the description inside the link here uh, and go ahead and donate every dollar that you could donate to him would definitely count. Um, so we definitely appreciate that. Definitely appreciate our guests. Thanks again, guys, for tuning in. And without further ado, we're going to go ahead and get into this interview. I'm really, really excited. I was talking to our guest backstage. It's got an incredible story. I hope you guys are ready for this. So we're going to go ahead and bring on, let's welcome to the show, Benjamin Babb. Hey, Ben, how's it going? Hey, how's it going, Jonathan? I'm doing well, sir. I'm doing well. Hey, Ben, if you'd like to go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us where you're from, a little bit about yourself as well. Well, my name is Benjamin Babb. I had a liver transplant uh, September 15th of 2021. Uh, I currently live in Oklahoma City, spend most of my time in Midwest City, uh, but Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, that's um, right about where I'm at. Uh, yeah. Cool. Cool. And, and 
Oklahoma. So you're just right above me in Texas, although I'm I'm down in San Antonio area, but I've been actually up there in uh, in Oklahoma. It's it's, an, it's a nice city. It's a it's a bit flat though. It's kind of flat. You can kind of see for miles. I'm, I'm correct, right? Oh yeah, it's real windy too. Uh, this this part of Oklahoma, it's it's definitely flat and breezy. Uh, I moved here recently. I used to live in uh, Tulsa. That's not nearly as flat, but uh, the Integris Hospital is in OKC, so I have to stay close. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I know all about that. Yeah, my, my hospital is in San Antonio, so I live about uh, about a 45-minute drive, give or take. It depends upon how fast you drive from my transplant uh, hospital. So, yeah, definitely it's nice to uh, you know stick close to, to them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm about absolutely. 30 minutes away from mine, I think. Absolutely. Well, Ben, um, I'm correct on this. You you had you had a liver transplant, and uh, why don't you give us the backstory on on being diagnosed with uh, liver disease and tell us tell us uh, some of your story. I would love to. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be uh, in an organization called Trio Oklahoma. It's Transplant Recipients International Organization. Uh, currently, I'm the the president of the Oklahoma chapter. And uh, it it's a drastic difference from where my life was just three or four years ago. Um, so the main cause of my uh, liver failure was alcoholic hepatitis. Um, I, I used to drink a lot. Uh, I had a lifestyle that was not ideal. It was not conducive to, to good health. Um, I had a few other things wrong with me that I did not know about yet, but uh, I didn't start drinking until I was 17 years old. Uh, I had my first first uh, drink then, uh, and I took a little break until I got to college. Um, I went to the University of Oklahoma, and uh, the first semester that I was there, uh, a kid named Blake Hammontree, he overdosed on alcohol and uh, the university made it a dry campus. And unfortunately, the second semester I was there, I, I drank a lot more than the first semester. Um, I always was a good time, good time drinker. Uh, if, if we were celebrating, then we were drinking. If it was game day then we were drinking if our if our team lost we were drowning our sorrows and if our team won then we were celebrating uh it it was a lot of fun but i didn't do awesome in college uh so whenever my dad ended up getting sick in uh the early 2000s he got copd so it gave me a, a good excuse to be able to drop out of college and uh, essentially be a caregiver for him. And I didn't know that that would shape my life in a way that it has to the point where I I now am a chair for a Zoom support meeting for caregivers. And I think I, I learned a lot from being so exposed to illness like COPD at such a young age, but I kind of cleaned up my life a little bit then. Uh, 
and tried to take care of myself, my health, and I should have stayed that way. Um, but I didn't. He passed in 2008, and I moved back from Bartlesville, Oklahoma, to Norman, Oklahoma, and stayed with a buddy of mine who was quite the drinker. And I, I loved staying with that fella. Uh, we drank every night, and we were just kids being kids. I think that was a normal thing to do back in my early 20s. And then... I got a job uh, for a large company that is a grocery store uh, that also has a large warehousing industry. Um, so I worked at that grocery store for a couple of years, but then I moved over to the warehouse side and that's where my drinking kind of blossomed. Uh, turns out in an industrial and manual labor atmosphere, everybody drinks because you're always in pain. Um, it's, it's just a thing to do after work to wind down that way you can make it to work the next day without your back hurting too bad. Uh, and I worked in a freezer. So if you drank whiskey the night before, then you were warmer and managers didn't really like going into the freezer that much because it was negative 20 degrees. So if you um, drink whiskey the night before you get nice and warm, uh, and, it was just a completely unhealthy lifestyle. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I wasn't worried about the future. Uh, I was just still in my late twenties at this point and having a good time. I thought, uh, because I, I thought I was just a kid and nothing bad could ever happen to me. I, I was taught by my older brother, William, that I'm invincible. Whenever I was younger, he taught us, uh, all, all the brothers were invincible, and uh, I guess I was trying to test that because I was, like I said, just living that kind of lifestyle. Um, but at, at some point, uh, I got a little bit too heavy into alcohol and just started drinking it daily and finishing my drinks on the way to work, and it was pretty, pretty deplorable. It's, it's a bit embarrassing, but, uh, I am all about transparency and honesty in my journey. And, uh, it, it was, uh, it was a heck of a time in my life where everything that I was doing was pretty well centered around alcohol. And mm -hmm. I was not making the best, not only decisions about what I put into my body, but the life decisions that I was making, uh, I uh, met this girl that my brother at the time was dating and I stole that girl from him. And Oh, wow. Oh yeah. That was a, <laughs> that was a big old life mistake right there. Uh, and she was quite the drinker as well. So we just fed off of each other and that was not the best situation. Whenever you have someone like myself uh, that, likes to do something like drink and then it gets even more normalized and kind of pushed on you from another person making you feel like it's okay to just do it all the time and have a have a good time because in reality if if we sobered up and looked at the situation that we were in it was not a good situation so you do whatever sure. you can to cloud that that vision of the situation that you're in 
I, yeah, uh, I got to the point where my family wanted to intervene. So what happened was they had a couple choices. Um, they wanted me to go to rehab or they wanted to help in a different way, which was by having me just go to a different state and spend some time with a buddy of mine. But unfortunately they didn't talk to me before they made the decision for me. Uh, if, if they would have sent me to rehab, honestly, I absolutely would not have gone. Uh, I was not ready to stop drinking. I didn't think that I had a problem. Uh, I felt like I was in control of my life and it's, it's just not the case at all. I, I was completely out of control. I was lying to myself and I, I just, I had, as long as I had the alcohol that I needed to have, then that was really what I focused on. It's, it's amazing how you can lie to yourself. Um, so a buddy of mine, his name is John. He showed up at my door one day, which was interesting because he's from Austin, Texas. Uh, okay, uh, I'm, I, a, I'm a, I'm about two hours from Austin. I, I was I was wrong. My buddy Casey's from Austin. Uh, he's he's from uh, Houston, Houston. Okay, so that's quite the drive. Uh, that's about five hours from me. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a heck of a way from Bartlesville. Bartlesville is up by Tulsa. Uh, mm. So it's about a, I want to say a 10 hour drive. Um, but he came to visit and he asked me if I wanted to go to lunch. So I said, yeah, John, I'll, I'll go to lunch with you. Um, and he, he got me in his car and started driving and Bartlesville is about a 45 minute drive from Tulsa. And he started driving to Tulsa. I'm like, Hey, where are we going, bud? And he uh, he was like, well, I lied to you. We're not going to lunch. Uh, we're going to the airport. Uh, I feel like you might need a vacation. So we're going to get you a, a vacation to go to Washington and, uh, spend some wow. time in Seattle with, with our buddy, Josh, uh, just a week or two. And I, I called the girl that I was with and I was like, Hey, uh, would that be okay? Just like for a week. Um, he said that I have a, a flex ticket to come back wherever, whenever I want, uh, just to set it up with the airline. And she said, yeah, that was great. So I went to Seattle and I got to Seattle and my buddy Josh was like, Hey, I'm so glad you're here, Ben. Uh, finally you live in Seattle. And I was very confused. I asked, you know, what's, what, what's going on? What are you talking about? I'm here just for a week or two to kind of clear my head. And sure. that, that was just not the case, man. They, they tricked me into moving against my will to Seattle, which it, it's a very bizarre thing to happen. Uh, yeah, it and, sounds like it. Yeah. I, I feel like I would have preferred rehab because my buddy, unfortunately he liked to drink as well. So, whenever I needed help, I, uh, got put into a situation with another alcoholic who, uh, he, he liked to measure his drinks until he didn't measure his drinks, which it's an interesting thing, uh, trying to mitigate the alcoholism for an alcoholic. Uh, there's mm -hmm. not much that works. 
um, if you have that craving. So uh, my life kind of fell apart in Seattle. I ended up being being very, very depressed. Uh, that girl briefly left me. Uh, I became pretty suicidal. Um, and I looked back at my life and realized that I had done it all to myself. And uh, I got to the point where I was standing on an overpass uh, with a, a tall boy in my hand, uh, looking like Jenny off of Forrest Gump with, with my foot hanging off the overpass, wondering if wow. this fall was going to be high enough to kill me. And I decided that it was just about high enough to break my legs. So I, mm. I stepped down onto the, the road on the lower side and finished my beer and fell asleep on the, on the overpass. And, mm. uh, that, that was a real, what I thought would be a low point in my life. Um, but I was, I was kind of wrong. Uh, but I, I ran away at that point. Uh, I saved up enough money to get a plane ticket to go back to Oklahoma. And I made my way back to Oklahoma, found myself with that girl again. Um, but spending enough time in Seattle, uh, with that other fellow that liked to drink, um, it kind of changed me to the point where I was, I have a lot of redeeming qualities and I, I drank away all those redeeming qualities. Um, that girl did not want to put up with my, my drunken behavior. And that was very understandable. Uh, sure. At, at that point, she asked me to leave and I did not put up a fight because I knew that I was pretty well broken as a human. And I, I didn't know that that was possible. Uh, after my dad had passed and just a, a rough life that I had led up to that point, I thought I was, I was always going to be okay. And I felt like I would, I would be able to make it through anything. And I, I knew that I would always be able to keep my chin up, but then I just eventually got broken down. Um, so I got off social media. I got off, uh, pretty much any way that someone would be able to find me, I tried to disappear and mm -hmm. I did it effectively. Um, so I was homeless for a little while. Uh, whenever she had kicked me out and I, the main thing that I cared about was alcohol. So I would always find a way to get alcohol. And it was very interesting because while I was homeless, I had a job, which seems counterintuitive. You would think that someone with a job uh, would be able to save up enough to not be homeless, but I wasn't worried so much about food or living. I was uh, worried about getting booze. And uh, that was a very unfortunate decision that I had made because uh, in 2021, uh, I got COVID and I, I didn't recover from COVID. Um, I had, I'd been homeless and I'd been drinking. So I figured that I would get it uh, just because 
I thought that alcohol might have compromised my immune system a little bit and everybody was uh, on lockdown and um, trying to stay separated from people. But I worked in a warehouse where I was around, you know, plenty of people all the time. Uh, and I was actually in a supervisor position uh, where in the interview for supervisor, they, they told me that I probably shouldn't, drink so much come to work smelling like alcohol so much um so i tried to cut back but uh i still hadn't quit but whenever i got covid uh it after that two-week period where people are supposed to start getting better i didn't start getting better um it was december of 2020 that's that's whenever i was diagnosed with covid and um, in January, I still wasn't getting better. And a friend of mine that, uh, he was a, a really good influence on my life. Um, he had tried to get me to cut back on drinking quite a bit and having his support. Um, I was actually down to about two tall boys a day, which from where I was, it, it was a pretty drastic change. Um, but I still hadn't quit until I got COVID uh, because I couldn't keep anything down. I, I felt like I was going to die or I thought I felt that way. And then in January, like I said, I wasn't getting better. So he told me that I needed to go to a hospital. So I went to an ER and I won't say what hospital it was because it doesn't it doesn't make the hospital look fantastic. Um, I was in the ER and there were plenty of people in that ER with COVID and they told me uh, that the wait was going to be 14 hours. And if anybody else came in that had symptoms of COVID, then I would be bumped to the back of the line because I wasn't COVID positive. Uh, I was just a little bit, uh, yellow and I was, I was just feeling a little sick. Um, so, uh, I left the ER and I, I just stayed sick. Uh, I missed a little bit of work, not too terribly much. Um, but I, I was pretty miserable. Um, so in March, that same friend, uh, his name is Kirk. He told me that either I had to go to the hospital or he was going to carry me to the hospital because it had got to the point where uh, my muscles had starting waste had started wasting away. So, and that's called sarcopenia, um, just muscle wasting. Uh, if your liver is failing, that's one thing that that can potentially happen. Uh, if you're not having the right kind of diet and exercise, which I absolutely wasn't because I wasn't aware that I was in liver failure. Sure. I was, I was lying to myself, uh, saying, you know, I'm only 35. This is just the worst case of COVID. I'm still experiencing some crazy symptoms, uh, because I had, I hadn't been to the hospital since I was a child and had broken my arm. So, uh, I, I 
thought that I was a pretty healthy fella, and that just wasn't the case. I uh, I took a lot of time trying to to damage my body uh, so I could get drunk, and it it was successful. Uh, and whenever I went to the hospital in March, um, they admitted me because I had a lot of fluid retention. Um, that's called ascites, a lot of fluid buildup in my abdomen. And I had pneumonia and I had a UTI, uh, just a lot of unfortunate symptoms. Uh, so they admitted me and gave me what's called a paracentesis where they pull fluid off of you. Um, they pulled off five liters. Um, and I was only able to have one the entire time I was sick going through liver failure. A lot of times patients have to have a paracentesis or a thoracentesis, which is in the lungs where they pull fluid off, um, on a weekly basis. I was, I was a little bit fortunate that I didn't have to do that, but at the same time, um, they wanted to drain me. I just had clotting issues and thought that if they gave me a paracentesis that I might bleed out. So they elected to just stick with Lasix uh, diuretics to make me uh, kind of naturally get rid of the fluid. But... Um, in in March, the GI doctor informed me that I had liver failure and I was estimated to have about six years left if I didn't change my habits. Wow. I I heard six years and I wasn't honestly too worried about it. Um, so how old were you then, Benjamin? 35. 35. Yes, sir. Uh, 35 years old and I was, I was pretty okay with it. Honestly, um, six years felt like a long time, so I wasn't too worried and, uh, I couldn't afford medication. So I got some diuretics from just Walgreens and stopped. I, I had al already stopped drinking whenever I uh, had COVID. I, I just, stop drinking then and stop smoking then um, because it wasn't making me feel good. And uh, I uh, am fortunate enough to have a sobriety date of Christmas Eve. So it's really easy to remember. Um, but that's awesome. That's awesome. Congratulations. Oh, it's, oh, thank you, man. It's absolutely changed my life uh, for the better in every, every single aspect. Um let, let me let me stop you. Um, I sure. really appreciate you sharing uh, most, you know, a lot of your story. And wow, man, you've really been through a lot with, um, you know, battling alcoholism. And um, what what ultimately you think led you to the alcoholism? Was it the the loss of or, or seeing your father sick and, and things like that? That or was it uh, depression or or what what exactly led up to the to the problem with the alcohol? Well, Jonathan, I honestly think a lot of it is genetics. Um, my grandfather was an alcoholic. Uh, scientists, uh, scientists are starting to show that there are certain uh, genes related to alcoholism and how it affects um, 
your dopamine uptake and serotonin uptake uh, based off just what you have in, in your genes. Uh, and and uh, unfortunately, I think I have that gene where I'm a little bit uh, predispositioned. I have a predisposition to alcohol, uh, alcoholism. Yeah. And uh, not only that, I just, I really, really enjoyed having a good time whenever I was younger and uh, kind of latched on to that uh, feeling that alcohol gave me where I didn't have to worry about responsibilities. And if I had negative emotions, then I, I could just kind of yeah. drown the demons. Uh, some people like to call it. Well, I wasn't an alcoholic, but I had something called a, a, a foodaholic <laughs> where I was addicted to food. Literally. I mean, I had, at my heaviest, I think I had blossomed at uh, somewhere around 360 pounds. Um, Holy I'm always, smokes. Yeah, I was a big dude. I, was, I I got up to 325 at one point, so I understand that. Did you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, in my unfortunately, unfortunately for me, though, I, I, I had diabetes as well and, and hypertension. And, you know, I, I just kept eating and abusing my diabetes and hypertension and high blood, you know, high blood pressure, hypertension. And I uh, wasn't really going to the doctors like I needed to. And I wasn't paying attention to things. And I, I was always big and strong and able to do anything I wanted to do um, until I couldn't. And what happened was that lifestyle ultimately led me to kidney failure where I was flat on my back with kidney, you know, kidney disease, stage five, you know, um, ESRD and stage renal disease. That's so, so crazy. Like you never think whenever you're feeling that strong and you could go to the gym and outlift everybody. You never, you never stop and think the rest of my body is struggling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I didn't notice it was coming on me. Um, I was still urinating, things like that. But I, you know, ultimately I just, one night um, it just hit me hard and I was in the bed and I was in the bed for quite a few days. And then I ultimately ended up in the ER, but, uh, I'm relating a little bit of what you said to what you went through with, with the liver diseases, alcoholism. And then you said also that you think that it could be genetic, which I know that a lot of my family members have struggled with uh, addiction to food and, and weight issues and uh, diabetes and things like that. So uh, I think you may be on to something there with uh, the alcoholism. Is there possibly could be a connection to, uh, to it being a genetic uh, disorder as well. Absolutely. Uh, not only do I strongly feel that it's a genetic issue, but I also didn't want to deal with my own reality that I'd created. Um, I, I, I feel like I, I've been given a lot of opportunity uh, whenever I was younger and just didn't grab onto those, those opportunities like I should have. And uh, while part of me wants to say that it's unfortunate, I, I feel so, so fortunate to be here right now and have the life that I have. Um, yeah. Like it, it's incredible. Uh, the, the things that brought me here, all the bad things in my life that I wouldn't change because now I feel like I'm at the point where I'm supposed to be, where yeah. I can tell my story and affect people. Way. Sure. Sure. 
Well, we're about halfway through with the interview. I want to go ahead and uh, I got some more questions for you, Benjamin. This is this has been great. Uh, I want to plug really quickly, guys, what this uh, interview uh, also entails is uh, donating to uh, a second chance. This is a fundraiser uh, for a second chance. And uh, the link is in the bio, guys. And listen, a second chance saving and changing lives through the power of other people sharing their story. And, uh, you know, Philip Harris Jones, Tafaro Cook, I believe uh, Fred Hill uh, Fred Hill is involved. Uh, he's got some other people that are connected with this project as well. Uh, definitely uh, go over there, donate every dollar counts. So if you can donate whatever, you know, um, you, you spend five, ten dollars on, on junk all week long. So if you can afford maybe five dollars, ten dollars, whatever, throw it his way. He's got many different options on that donate link. Uh, there's like Cash App. I think there's PayPal possibly on there. So there's just different ways that you can also write a check. Uh, we have the information there in the description. So uh, we want to continue to uh, share stories uh, like uh, like Benjamin's here and um, share stories of hope. So we want to you know help other people uh, by having these podcasts and these platforms. So uh, you can't do it, unfortunately, for free. It does cost money. Uh, to run these kind of podcasts. Um, and, you know, right now, um, money money is tight for everyone. But uh, if you could throw maybe, you know, a dollar or two dollars, three dollars, whatever it would be, uh, Philip will definitely, um, he'll appreciate that. And, and you know that you're investing in, in, a, in good soil, uh, so to speak, and, and you're going to reap a, a good harvest from that. So uh, we definitely want you to check that out. But uh, Benjamin, I think my next question for you would be is, do you know what the rate of liver failure is? Is that most commonly the problem with liver, liver failure is uh, mainly alcoholism? Or are there other other factors that a lot of people see that um, that their liver begins to fail? Well, there are a lot of factors. Um, one of the very overlooked factors is like you said, uh, food addiction, uh, fatty mm -hmm. liver disease is a big, big thing in America. Um, another thing that is very unfortunate is the normalization of things like drinking during the day, uh, alcoholism in in younger groups. Um, right now we're seeing a lot of, uh, younger and younger people, having liver issues because of alcoholism um uh, right about in the age range of mid 30s to early 30s it's it's very surprising how many uh we've seen uh that have needed those those transplants and unfortunately some of them they don't get the transplants uh it's it's very difficult well I guess one of my questions is because it sounds like you were, and excuse the word, but and inebriated so so much and and so in depth with you know drinking all the time that you may not have recognized signs and symptoms. Uh, much like me, I didn't have any education on kidney failure, so for me, I had no idea that some of the symptoms could be chronic fatigue or uh, swelling of the ankles or. Uh, nauseated all the time or infrequent urination, things like that. So uh, what type of symptoms do you, looking back on your story, what kind of symptoms did you show that, you know, may be a sign of, oh, I may, I may have liver disease? 
Well, the symptoms of liver disease, uh, they're very apparent, and I honestly knew them. Uh, unfortunately, it's it's amazing the kind of lies that you can tell yourself whenever you, you see the symptoms. Um, I promise I was looking more yellow than Homer Simpson, and I still thought I looked pretty normal. Wow. Uh, yeah, um, because one of the big symptoms of liver failure is jaundice, <coughs> and uh, jaundice, ascites, which is that fluid retention. Um, it messes up your circadian rhythm drastically. Uh, sarcopenia, that muscle wasting, that's really huge. And uh, like I said, the onset of mine was from COVID. So I thought that I just had a really bad case of COVID that wasn't going away. And um, another really big symptom is esophageal varices. That's where uh, you have a blockage in your uh, your blood flow in your liver from scarring, and uh, the blood backs up into your esophagus, and you end up vomiting out a lot of blood. So that's one that you can't really lie to yourself about. Um, that does that does that follow with a persistent cough beforehand? And then you um, eventually cough, coughing happens quite a bit. Um, and it, it can be for a few different reasons. Um, one, uh, there's definitely uh, a lot of, like I said, fluid retention, not just in the abdomen, but in the lungs. A lot of liver patients get chronic pneumonia and they have to have fluid pulled off of them, uh, off of their lungs very frequently. Uh, so it, it's pretty miserable. Um, yeah. yeah. There's a couple of similarities with kidney disease, the muscle wasting and, you know, and then fluid retention. Uh, you know, when your kidneys don't work very well, then you yeah. have a, a excess of fluid because you have no way to extrude the, uh, or expel the, the, the waste, you know, you, you can't yeah. urinate. So, and a but, lot um, of the, a lot of the liver patients have to end up getting uh, kidney transplants as well. Um, because if the liver is not filtering, then the kidneys have to do all the filtering. And then a lot of the medications that you have to take for liver failure are also really damaging to your kidneys, both pre and post transplant. Yes. And that's, that's the same with kidney transplant is the actual medications that we're on to, uh, you know, toxify our immune system are actually nephro, nephrotoxic, which means yeah. that they can actually damage the kidneys. I don't know if you're on uh, tacrolimus and oh, yeah. uh, and the uh, microphenolate, but that's yes, what yes. I'm on. I'm on I'm on the tacro and I'm on the uh, microphenolate as well, Celsept. So I uh, take those uh, every 12 hours. But um, unfortunately, you know, uh, some patients have to take more than others, and they are neck you know nephrotoxic. Uh, yeah. Believe it or not, I was actually when I found that out, I was like, wow. So let me get this straight. You know, and have a kidney transplant, but these medications actually can harm the kidneys as well. So it's like I oh, know wow. it's it's one of the things cool. that uh, kind of worries me about getting the liver transplant at such an early age in life that I'm going to have to end up getting yeah. a kidney transplant as well. Um, that's one of the things I have to really watch for is my kidney numbers. The thing with you know transplant of any kind, you know, it's it's merely a it's not a it's not a complete fix. It's it's a treatment plan is what it is for at least for kidneys. It, you know, it's 
it's a it's a treatment plan that's that's all it is it's you know you have dialysis and and then you have transplant and you know you really don't want to face the other option um but it's like it's it's tough you know because like you said the medicines that we have to take you know they could end up failing or the organ could just decide that mm, i'm going to reject you know or i'm going to go away so it's definitely a treatment plan and you have to stay on top of all this and that's why it's important that we stay engaged with our team and get lab work done and, and things like that. So why don't you talk a little bit about uh, how, how you got transplanted and, and all that? Well, uh, after that, that six year diagnosis, um, I had to go back to the hospital because I started retaining more fluid. And the next time I went back to the hospital was on May 1st and they had changed the, that six years to three months. Um, there was a drastic decline very quickly. Uh, and that's whenever I got back in touch with my family. Uh, I called my brother, William, and let him know that even though I hadn't talked to him in a few years, that uh, I really needed him because the doctors gave me three months left. That, that's what I have, bud. And uh, wow. I was calling to say goodbye because at that point I still didn't want the transplant. But then he told me to call my mom, and I did. And she told me that I couldn't die before she died. So I decided to fight. And I went to Nazi Zudi Transplant Institute in Oklahoma City, and um, they gave me a plan. And I started, I started following that plan to a T. I changed my diet. I changed my exercise. Uh, a lot of, uh, not drinking a whole bunch of bunch of fluids and, uh, not, not eating a whole bunch of salt, making sure I exercise and get plenty of protein, um, and go to AA. And I had a lot of preconceived notions about Alcoholics Anonymous and, um, I, I was able to meet some people there that had liver issues like me, um, which was fantastic because even though I had my family back, my family didn't know what liver failure was like. So I had all kinds of questions. And if, if you look at the internet, then you're going to find a lot of answers that are very antiquated. And yeah, it's, stay away from WebMD. I'm, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here according to uh, that website. So <laughs> just well, be careful. That, that esophageal varices that I was talking about in June, I actually had that happen and I lost a little over half the blood in my body. And Google says that I'm, I'm supposed to be dead as well. Uh, I thought that was pretty fantastic, but I was able to get some transfusions. The, the first time I went to Nazi Zudi actually, uh, I had the choice of making my appointment on time or staying at Hillcrest Medical and getting the trans another transfusion because they said that I still needed more blood. And I uh, opted to go to my appointment at Nazi Zudi. Um, but uh, one of the things I did really want to share about um, that Alcoholics Anonymous, that's what really turned me on to, to TRIO. Um, I went there and I let everyone know in that meeting that uh, the the transplant board, the committee, they wanted me to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. So I was there 
to look good for a board of people that got to decide whether or not I got a transplant. So I'm going to go three days a week. And the other transplant people there, they said, you better go every day. And here's this group trio. And I went to that group. Uh, like I said, Transplant Recipients International Organization, the trio chapter, they have a, a website. And I am currently the president of the Oklahoma chapter. And that's awesome. Awesome. Oh, that's how much my life has changed since transplant. It's, it's incredible. Um, I'm sober. Uh, I, I got the information that I needed at, at, at trio. Um, I thought that after transplant, I was going to have five years to live, uh, optimistically five years. And that's just not the case. I, I thought the muscle wasting was going to get worse after transplant because that's what the internet told me it turns out that that's not the case at all that if you eat correctly if you exercise if you get protein you can live uh quite a long life um i have a friend named bob uh he is in his 80s and he is 23 years post liver transplant and i didn't know that was possible it's that's awesome having oh yeah having the information that trio has given me has not only made it uh easier to live to the point where I got a transplant, but made my life post transplant even better. Uh, when you found out how old he was and he's been surviving with, uh, that liver transplant that long, what did that give you? What, what word could you express what that gave you? Oh, buddy, the hope that I've gained, I, I can't express, um, that's, that's my life mission now that's that's what transplant has done for me it's what mm -hmm. trio did for me uh that's what people like you have done for me um i didn't have that hope and i found that hope and now i get to go spread that hope i i get to go to the hospital and see people um and if anybody watches this that has had a transplant i highly encourage go go back to the hospital and visit patients that way you can remember what it's like because I'm a, sure. I'm over a year post now, which I'm still a baby in the transplant world. But every single time I go visit a patient in the hospital, I get to remember what it's like to be there myself. I can see myself in that bed. I know what it feels like to get an MRI. And I know what it feels like to get a transfusion. I know how scared you get. Let me Let me ask you this, Benjamin. So when you were in the height of your alcoholism and, and you were homeless and you were, you know, basically in the street fighting for your life, you know, so to speak. And you, you faced a lot of adversity obstacles. Did you ever see yourself in the position that you're in now where you're visiting people and talking with people and, and trying to help other people by sharing your story? Jonathan, I wanted to die, bud. That's as honest as I can be. Uh, I was a narcissist. I only cared about myself and alcohol. Um, and I, I didn't see a whole bunch of reasons for living. I, I completely had lost any kind of idea of what hope was. Uh, I, I like to say that uh, I was a shell of a person. And I, uh, I took a lot of pictures. Um, I, I make sure that I, I know 
what I looked like whenever I was physically my sickest. And I wish I would have taken more pictures whenever I was mentally my sickest, because that's, that's where the real sickness was. Um, the mental sickness led to the physical and the best thing that's ever happened in my life, honestly, is liver failure. I say the same thing about kidney disease and, and kidney failure. When I tell people my story, I actually tell them that I'm actually grateful that it happened to me. Um, not because I was just this terrible individual or anything. I mean, I'm, I'm a little biased toward myself, but I wasn't like a, a you know, just a bad person, so to speak, but I wasn't on the right path and, and I wasn't really doing what I needed to do in life. And, and kidney disease spin me around completely and turned me completely around. And, and I'm a new person today because I, I experienced what I experienced. And I think our experiences in life mold and make us into individuals that we're, that we're supposed to be in. I'm a, I'm a person of faith, so I believe that uh, in a divine way that, that, that God leads us into a path and, and we end up ultimately using uh, our experiences to, to help other people. And um, I just think it I think it's a beautiful thing. I, I really appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing your story today. It's it's definitely been incredible. Uh, you say you're over a year post now. Yes, sir. Uh, I just I just hit not too long ago. I'm I'm a few months over two years. So I'm a two years and a couple of months post kidney transplant. So I'm relatively uh, young in the transplant world as well. Uh, and you spoke with a about a guy that was twenty some odd years post transplant. And uh, one of my good friends, he's a, a leader, um, a vice president of a nonprofit that I'm involved with uh, called Kidney Solutions. Um, he's a 35-year kidney transplant recipient. And so uh, when I talk with him, you know, every time I talk with him and he mentors me, he gives me hope because I'm like, man, this guy's, you know, 30, 35 years post. And, you know, I, if, I, if I can just, you know, do what he's doing, then I, I'll be okay. And, um, you know, he's, he's definitely a force in my life, definitely a great mentor. Um, if you had some final words to say to an individual who is facing the the similar path that, that you you was on and uh, things that you have encountered and experienced, what kind of words of hope would would you give them? And it doesn't have to be very long. If you just have a few words, it's fine. But what kind of words of of encouragement could could you give them? You're not alone. Um... There are going to be times where it, it feels like you're so tired that you want to give up. And it feels like that's the easiest thing to do, that fighting isn't worth it and that your life will never be the same. And let me tell you, uh, your life won't ever be the same. But if you're anything like me, it could be drastically better than it used to be. Um, you're not the only one who's going through it. And you can get better and you can also make someone else's life a lot better. That's, a, that's awesome. Definitely uh, great words of hope there and encouragement. Benjamin, um, where could people find you if they wanted to talk with you about sharing your story? 
Uh, TriooKlahoma.org is a great place. Um, we have meetings every single week, uh, both Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then we have care partner meetings uh, on the first and last Wednesday uh, from 6.30 to 7.30 every single month. Um, a, a big group, of, a rotating cast of transplant patients meets uh, a couple times every single week, and we have discussions that are just fantastic. Um, it, it really shows that nobody's alone in this journey. Um, and they, they could have reasons for being there, whether it be heart transplant, lung transplant, liver, or kidney. Um, some people are there because, like me, alcohol, but some people are there because cystic fibrosis. Uh, just... Mm -hmm any number of reasons, but no matter how the person got there, they make a difference there. Absolutely. And, and support is, is crucial when you go through something like this and, um, you know, and, and you need it, whether you believe it or not, you need support when you, when you're battling a chronic illness, a chronic disease. I mean, um, if you go through something like this all by yourself, it, it's such a tough battle. You have to, you have to have somebody to lean on. You have to have an outlet and uh, support groups and Zoom meetings. Those are awesome. Um, we have them as well with uh, Kidney Solutions. We meet on every Monday at uh, 6 p.m. Central. And uh, we invite, uh, you know, most of the, the kidney transplant recipients and people that are on dialysis, people that are in need of kidneys, uh, even family members that are just associated are welcome to come too as well. So, it's a beautiful thing. Support groups are huge. Absolutely. Yep. Well, listen, guys, we really appreciate you tuning in. Um, what an incredible story. And just so happens that we're trying to raise funds for um, a great podcast and, and, and a great group of people at uh, Second Chance. And uh, Philip Harris-Jones, Tafaro Cook, who are the hosts of that podcast, uh, they do incredible work. Uh, they share stories just like these um, that we've shared tonight. And um, I'm really, really uh, want people to go over and check out that website. I'll have it in the link in the description here in the YouTube channel. Please consider uh, donating to them. Uh, it's definitely a worthy cause for, for those guys to continue sharing uh, stories of, of hope and, and uh, impacting lives by other people sharing their story. Uh, so any, any final words, any shout outs, Benjamin, before we end the show? Uh, just keeping trio in mind, shout out to Nazi Zudi, <laughs> that transplant institute. And I really appreciate you having me on here, Jonathan. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I, I love talking. Uh, <laughs> I, I could have talked for another hour with you, bud. Yeah. I'm a, I mean, you've been an incredible guest and I've just kind of sat back and just listened to your story and uh, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch this because uh, there's probably something that I missed while I was listening, but man, um, you have an incredible story and uh, definitely probably won't be the last time that we meet up. So that'd be great. I'd, I'd love yep. to see you again, bud. Yep. Well, Hey guys, listen, uh, we appreciate you tuning in tonight. If you, uh, would like to help support us, we are hope with Jonathan. We have a website, hopewithjonathan.com. You can find out more information about us. Also, we would love for you to hit that subscribe button and, uh, we, we definitely need your support. Again, I want to say, uh, thanks again to, uh, Philip Harris Jones, 
and uh, to Farrell Cook, host of the uh, Second Chance podcast, uh, for giving me the opportunity to be a part of this uh, great event and uh, fundraiser. And uh, hey, guys, y'all stay safe out there. Remember to take care of your kidneys. Thanks again, Ben. You have a great one. Thank you. Hey guys, have you been over to hopewithjonathan.com? You can actually listen to the audio podcast, watch live streaming interviews, purchase merch to help support Hope with Jonathan podcast, read blogs, and much, much more. For more information on this, go check out hopewithjonathan.com where we share stories of hope.